Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. And today, in the two weeks since we've recorded, we're going to talk a little bit of Texas hoops. Won some games, lost some games at that time. Also, Texas baseball, ranked number one by all the major polls, has started their season and is 4-0 and after sweeping Rice and taking the first game versus AM Corpus Christi. So, uh, unlike Paul, we will not trudge through baseball we'll enjoy talking about it in addition to all the different uh all the different basketball talk make sure you listen to our show and paul and kevin on the everyone gets a trophy podcast subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and review on spotify on itunes and make sure you uh patronize our sponsors yeah audio visual consultations give them a call 512-255-8678 to get the home tv setup of your dreams college baseball season is here the ncaa tournament just a couple of weeks away make sure you make that call to av consultation soon to get your home tv setup done the way that you want it and the one and O podcast is also brought to you by altstat brewery altstat beer it is german beer made here and the best beer that you could find all throughout the state Central Texas, DFW, Houston, wherever you get your six-packs, make sure you pick up a six-pack of Altstadt beer. No impurities, no regrets. And real quick, Joe, I listened to Kevin and Paul's most recent Everyone Gets a Trophy pod yesterday. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe how much baseball they talked. I actually texted KD, and I'm like, dude, how the hell did you get Paul to talk that much baseball? And he's like, I don't know. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So a great Texas baseball pod. We'll talk plenty of it on this podcast, too. But uh, if you're looking for kind of a Texas baseball season preview, but also a recap of the Rice series, definitely check out Everyone Gets a Trophy. It was pretty good this week. Yeah, nothing ever surprised me more than when I'm uh, kind of perusing inside Texas in June last year. And it's like University of South Florida Bulls Super Regional Preview by Paul Wadley. <laughs> Whoa, where did where did this come from? Like, I figured I that was you. You Wadley. just hacked into his account and started posting it, stuff. It was not. And then everybody's like, who is this guy? And I'm trying to ask the same question. But, you know, it's been uh, since what? I think February 10th since we recorded. Uh, looking at what's happened since then, you have the loss at Baylor. Uh, since that's a little bit far in the past. And Baylor's just a team that proposes a lot of bad matchups for Texas. Not a whole lot to talk about from there. They won at Oklahoma, a loss to Texas Tech in the Irwin Center. We'll get into those games. But one thing I think there is that is valuable to talk about from Baylor is, uh, I'm not sure if you caught this, but uh, basically Baylor beat Texas with a seven-deep team, maybe even a six-deep team, uh, with the LJ Cryer out and then Sean Boachachua going down with that rough knee injury. So, a shorthanded Baylor team took it to Texas, just up and down the floor, uh, bought, bullied them in the paint, bullied them, you know, all over the place. And uh, that's why they were able to win 80, 80 to 63. And after the game, Chris Beard, you know, I, I drove up to Waco for that game. A few other Texas reporters did as well. And Chris Beard put the whole starting five out on the podium. Uh, and, and they were, they, they seemed to take responsibility uh, and, you know, understand that what their effort was what offered was not, you know, going to win basketball games. Uh, but it, it, it's – there's some things that Chris Beard has said that doesn't concern me, but I try to find out where he's coming from. Because mm. I remember at the – at Texas Tech game, you know, he talk, spoke about there was a stretch in the first half where he didn't call a timeout. You know, 15,300 people there at United Supermarkets Arena – 
uh, all hating him, loudest environment I've seen in a men's basketball game. And he doesn't call a timeout. And I asked him after the game about that. And he said, oh, you know, I got a, a veteran experienced team. Well, come 10 days later, that veteran experienced team needed a message sent to them. And this happens. This happens to every team. But that veteran experienced team needed a message sent to them uh, in order just to have, I don't know, I don't know what the message was, but to, you know, understand that trying to roll over and think that, you know, you beat Kansas and you're on top of the world doesn't earn you anything when you go to Waco in the Farrell Center. Yeah, the same thing has happened mm-hmm. in Texas's three toughest road games this year. The Gonzaga game in the non-con and then the game in Lubbock and the game in Waco. The same thing happened in all three of those games where home team gets out to a double digit lead and Texas is trying to play catch up the whole time. Like that, that can't happen. You can't do that against really good teams in their house. So that's been the biggest problem. Like in all three of those games, Texas didn't completely fold over or mail it in. Like they were competitive. And if you look at just the second halves of those three games, Texas is right there. Like they're right there in terms of scoring. The scoring total, yeah. Yeah, the scoring total in the second half. The problem is they just get off to terrible starts. So I don't know who to blame. I think some of that falls on Chris Beard and the coaching staff. I think some of that falls on the players as well. And look, the good news is once you get to the tournaments, you don't have to deal with true road games. But, Joe, when you're playing really good teams like that, you can't spot them a double-digit lead and expect to play catch-up, especially when you're a team that offenses and shoots as poorly as Texas does, right? The Longhorns don't have the ability to go on a 10-0 spurt in two minutes. Like, they just don't have the offensive firepower to do that. So the same thing happened in all three of those games at Gonzaga, at Tech, and at Baylor. They've got one more really difficult road game left. That's at Allen Fieldhouse, the last game of the season. Ideally, that does not happen there because you can't spot Kansas a lead like that and expect to come back. So I don't know who to blame. Uh, I, I guess I like Chris Beard trying to, to do something in the post game to change it up. But ultimately, it's the post game, so it doesn't matter too much because the game had already happened. But like that is a bad trend for the Longhorns. That uh, is why they're 0-3 and why they've looked pretty bad in their three toughest road games this year. Yeah, I think a good takeaway from that is to consider that th- this is – this is him trying to fix something like ever since he took the job last April, it's like, okay, what do I have to do next to get this team going? Whether it be adding people, whether it be trying to find the lineups, whether it be trying to find the combinations. And I think he's done a really good job of finding lineup combinations. We'll get into that when we talk about Oklahoma. Uh, but it, it kind of has shown that there's even with, you know, a first year team that's ranked as highly as it was and still ranked highly top 20, uh, in the top 16 of the NCAA's NET, uh, there's still some buttons that he's figuring out how to press with this team. And that's not to make the, you know, have they gelled on the floor excuse uh, because there's no excuse for it at this point. It's February, March is around the corner. You know, they, they've they gelled on the floor. If they haven't, then there are bigger problems. But kind of shows like he, he's a guy who's not uh, not afraid to go different directions uh, for a solution. Uh, you know, try different things. And we'll even get to that when we talk about Texas Tech. But going to that Oklahoma game, one thing changed from that Baylor to OU game, and that's that Trey Mitchell took a leave of personal absence. Yeah. And, uh, he, he, you know, it's a starting guy who had been working pretty well in tandem with Christian Bishop and uh, also with uh, Timmy Allen. And one of the few guys who I could trust, maybe not to create his own shot, but once he had the ball to – put the ball in the basket. And now he's, you know, whether he comes back is a huge question. I'm going to think it's pretty doubtful that he comes back. Hmm. And so Texas had to go up to, to Oklahoma and play a, a you know, a, a team against or play against a team that 
yeah, they beat pretty handily in the Irwin Center, but and yeah, there was nobody really in the Lloyd Noble Center either. <laughs> uh, but it's still, you know, Texas versus Oklahoma. It's still the Big 12. Porter Moser's a good basketball coach and you know, has some good players on that team. And even without Trey, uh, Trey Mitchell had some struggles, but were able to prevail in overtime and escape with another conference win. Yeah, and that was a desperate Oklahoma team, too. I mean, you heard it a million times on the broadcast. Oklahoma kind of needed that win to help their standing in the NCAA tournament. And since then, uh, they got smashed by Iowa State and Ames, and last night they got bum-rushed by Texas Tech and Lubbock. So that was a huge game for Oklahoma, who's still on the bubble, but they were looking for quality wins, and Texas went into their house and got it done wasn't always pretty at times, but the resiliency we saw from this group was pretty spectacular. And four guys did all of the damage for the Longhorns. Texas mm-hmm. as a team scored 80 points. Uh, four guys combined for 72 of those 80 points. Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, Andrew Jones, and Marcus Carr. Shout out to Andrew Jones. Everybody knows his story. It doesn't get old. It's an amazing story. Every time that guy plays Oklahoma, he dominates. Like mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Like I, I love Andrew Jones for a number of reasons. I love any Longhorn who steps up when we're playing the Sooners. And Andrew Jones, over the course of his entire career, has done that. He scored twenty in both games against OU this year, so he was spectacular. Timmy Allen was great. Marcus Carr was great. Christian Bishop was doing a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. Like those four guys absolutely stepped up, and that was a big win for Texas too. Uh, Look, Texas was probably in the tournament before that, but they were still looking for quality wins and they were still looking for road wins. And I don't know how much stock you put into this, Joe. I don't know how much stock I should put into this, but ESPN has this constantly updated bubble watch article and they've got three categories for every team basically fighting for an NCAA tournament spot. They've got locks, they've got should be in, and they've got work to do. And for a while, Texas was in the should be in category. Going into that Oklahoma game, they were in the should-be-in category. They win that game in Norman, and they got elevated to the lock category. So I think Texas was fine either way, tournament-wise. But like getting that win in Norman kind of felt like, okay, even if Texas completely melts down down the stretch, which hopefully they don't do, uh, they're going to be fine. Like They're going to be an NCAA tournament team. So big win, like you said, on the road, rivalry game. Oklahoma was desperate. Uh, That's a quality team that you beat in their house that hasn't been a consistent thing for the Longhorns this year. So, yeah, a lot to like from that OT win up in Norman. One of the things – yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jones. Not just that. He pulled out seven boards. And yeah. he he really kind of buoyed the offense through certain portions of the game. The other thing that I was really impressed by from that game is that Texas scored on every possession in overtime. Now, some of it was going one of two at the line, but they added points on on every possession. And that's – Kind of looking at the the the, the upswells of what a, a veteran team uh, can can provide to you. Uh, sometimes they they give those pitfalls like we saw at Baylor, but when you have a team like that who's you know full of juniors and seniors and uh, guys who have been able to you know play in those types of environments and those pressure environments and go into overtime and know what they're able to do and need to do, then yeah, that, that that's one of the good things that you get out of it. And uh, again, another story in the in the another chapter in the story of Andrew Jones. I mean, forty three minutes, seven boards, twenty points, uh, played really well, uh, and that that's overcoming Timmy Allen and fouling out in overtime. Uh, just you know, a really good performance from them and a win they needed to get. Now that didn't put them at, uh, or did that put them at nine wins? I think it may have. Uh, so put them at or put them at eight wins, which is kind of universally <clears throat> agreed upon to be 
at least the floor of a team that makes it from the Big 12. Uh, I think, you know, they're going to they're, they're gonna try for more. They don't want to lose four straight to close out the season, of course. Yeah. Uh, but that's – I think eight is kind of the floor of being on the bubble but being on the right side. And then nine is kind of like you're in. You may have to think a little bit, but, but you're in. And if they can go one and three in these last four, which, you know, these first two will be the ones they have to try and do it against. But yeah. they can go one and three in these last four. They're in, maybe sweating. They have higher aspirations, but they're in. Yeah, look, I don't want to jump the Texas Tech game. Well, I kind of do, but we can't. We have to talk about that game, I guess. But, yeah, four games left in the regular season for the Longhorns. They'll be favored in two of them, I think. I think they'll be favored at West Virginia this weekend. West Virginia is dead last in the Big 12. Uh, they're one game over 500 on the season. So never easy to go in at WVU Coliseum, but this is about as easy as it gets. Texas is a nine to nine and a half point favorite against TCU. So yeah, you'd love to win these two this week, get to 10 wins, 10 and eight has you as a lock like that. That puts you fourth place in this league this year. That'd be a, a, a pretty solid opening big 12 campaign. And then look, if you win one against Baylor or Kansas in the final two, then you're 11 and seven. That's another huge quadrant one win for you. And uh, I think people would feel a lot better about this team. People should feel pretty good about this team, I think, Joe. But if Texas goes mm-hmm. three and one down the stretch, I think people would be beaming with confidence going into Kansas City. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That may earn you probably the three seed, maybe. Depends on what Texas Tech does. But I mean, yeah, in finishing at 11 and that'd be what, 11 and seven. That'd be mm-hmm. a, a great start in Beard's first year. Double digit wins in the, in the Big 12 are hard. And we kind of saw that. I'll, we'll get to West Virginia a little bit because I got some Bob Huffin, Bob Huggins takes I want to throw down. Okay, uh, but uh, you know three uh, they they did have to play Texas Tech in the Irwin Center, which was pretty neutral site type crowd. You know, a lot of Tech fans made their way to to Austin. Uh, still kind of jilted at the fact that Chris Beard left them, and you know they they've got a lot of momentum. That's a top ten team who's playing some really good basketball under Mark Adams, and I think. The, the biggest real takeaway, two takeaways I think that you have from this game is that that Texas Tech defense is good enough to force a, an offensively challenged Texas team to go in these just almost 10-minute scoring droughts. Like that that takes, yeah, the, the, the Longhorns have to help them out in that regard, but that takes special defense. Yeah. And also just the fact that Marcus Carr put up a goose egg for the second time in his career. And kind of speaking to what I talked about with Baylor, sending the Marcus or the starting five out there, Chris Beard brought Marcus Carr to the to the the press availability post game. Scored oh, zero points. Had, I didn't even uh, see that. Wow. Yeah, scored zero points. Had you know more more fouls and turnovers, or as many fouls and turnovers as, as missed shots. Like just not a good game. Uh, Paul talked about it on Inside Texas, and you know just a, not not something that a senior even if he's not the best point guard, not something that a senior point guard can do for this team. Agreed. I'll throw Timmy Allen in there too. I mean, those two mm-hmm. guys, I would argue those are the two most important players for Texas. And you could go one, one, a, you can go one, two, however order you want. Those two guys combined for six points and they shot two of 12 from the floor. You're not beating a team as good as Texas tech. If you're getting that type of production from your two best offensive players, like that's just unacceptable. So yeah, I mean, Marcus Carr, one of, if not, his worst game of his entire college career, not just his Texas career, but going back to his time at Minnesota too, unacceptable. And look, give Texas Tech credit. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country, but Marcus Carr looked lost on Saturday. He was like in between aggressive and passive 
Like he'd start to drive, which is aggressive, and then he'd get down low, and he's like, oh, God, what do I do? He'd pick up his dribble and then make a bad decision, either throw a turnover or jack up a bad shot, and Texas Tech would get the ball right back. So he was horrible. And, yeah, like this team's going to go as far as those two guys take them. Joe, it's it's kind of amazing that Texas was even in this game considering how bad they played. Now, it's a testament to the Longhorns' defense, and Texas Tech is not the greatest offensive team in college basketball, but – like Texas played horrendously bad on offense. And even at times when they executed well, they got some good looks. They just couldn't make anything. They shot 28% and they were within a point of a top 10 team in the last minute and a half. Like Texas couldn't have played a lot of worse, a lot worse. This is not moral victory. Like it's a disappointing loss. And it's a game. Of course you would have liked to win for a number of different reasons, but Texas played like trash on Saturday and they did not deserve to win at all. Credit Texas Tech for making them do that at times, but the Longhorns just were not ready for the challenge this weekend, and they lost because of it. Yeah, I think Texas Tech, that, that's a team that everything they do translates to the postseason, and that's going to be a tough out. But, oh, yeah. yeah, you can't you can't, you can't shoot 17 of 60. You can't have someone like Courtney Ramey go 3 of 11 from the field or Timmy Allen only getting up six shots. Like, that's – that he, he – Texas Tech has his number. There's there's no doubt about that because yeah. he was very limited out in Lubbock too. And then I understand why Jace Febris is getting the minutes that he's getting. They, there's not to say that he's just not a good player. I think he is a he's a decent player, but uh, there's a you know he he there's a reason he's not super feared and was getting limited looks uh, before the 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 you know Jalen Tyson and then of course Trey Mitchell finally starts to finally. Uh, went on his leave of absence. He can't go two to seven. Like you're the three point shooter, and I've ragged on him probably a little bit more than I should have. But like you're the three point shooter. That's why you're on this roster. Yeah. You can't you can't be going three of seven or or, or two of seven. You, it's, you, you just can't. That, that you've got to do better than that. And I understand that his game has some limitations because he's not the best dribbler and he's a willing defender, but not the most gifted defender. But I mean, you've got to get more from him if yeah. you're going to have more from this team. And even going forward, you're going to have to get more from a guy like Dylan DeSue, who maybe it was a little bit more strategic having him only in for four minutes. Uh, but I, I expect that to change as we get to TCU and as we see, uh, you know, going to West Virginia and then finishing up with Baylor and Kansas just because – they need his rebounding, and yeah. they need him on the floor because Trey Mitchell's just probably not going to be there. You know, Dylan DeSue has been the most disappointing part of this Texas team, at least most disappointing player. And, look, maybe he's still not 100%, right? It's coming off a pretty serious knee injury that caused him to miss the first half of this season. So maybe he just hasn't gotten his legs under him. But he has been very disappointing. Uh, watched him in high school a lot. He was very good. Watched him at Vanderbilt last year. You know, averaged 13 points, also led the SEC in rebounding. He's just not the same player, and he looks like a stiff out there. Like, uh, maybe at some point that changes, but I don't know if it changes this year, Joe. And you're right. Like, he's going to be mm -hmm. important because I don't know if Trey Mitchell's coming back. And even with Trey Mitchell, this team doesn't have a lot of front court depth. Without him, obviously, they don't have much at all. Uh, so, DeSue's going to get some minutes. He can't be out there looking the way he's looked. Like defensively, he had two fouls in those four minutes. Like he, he can't move his feet at all. Whenever he's on the floor, other teams are attacking him right away. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't have that spring, that bounce that he had at Vanderbilt. The scoring hasn't been there either. Uh, yeah, look, he's a great kid, comes from a great family, incredibly smart. Maybe he'll get there, but unfortunately, Joe, we haven't seen it. And that has been 
one of, if not the most disappointing parts of this Texas team this year. I guess silver lining is he's an Austin kid. Like he's a junior. He's if he if he if he comes back, which seems like he's going to do, uh, he's going to have that full off season. He's yeah. going to have that full year to develop. So maybe this was just a tough time for him. Uh, but there's there's no time to feel sorry. Like he's going to be a guy who's going to be backing up Bishop and uh, and you know uh, and Timmy Allen, any of those guys. Yeah. But. There is one thing that I, I don't know if you've noticed this, and I think I mentioned this, that uh, Chris Beard, what I've been extremely impressed by of late is just his strategic ability with lineups uh, and substitutions. And I, I don't think Shaka was was bad at this, but I don't think, and maybe this is me giving Beard credit for something that's kind of basic coaching, but he substituted the hell out of that overtime. And he's trying, He, he he's not afraid to, you know, stand guys up, sit guys down pretty quickly. I like that about him. And also he's thrown out some lineups that on the surface look pretty weird. Mm. They're micro ball, like Brock Cunningham's playing the five, Jesse Febris is playing the four, and then you got Ramey Jones and Carr out there with them. Like that's that's a classic Rockets micro ball type lineup, yeah. but it, it, it's worked. And other teams are having to react to it with those ball handlers on the floor it probably spaces things out as much as Texas is able to space things out. Brock Cunningham doesn't mind operating in the paint and he's a pretty good facilitator from, you know, that foul line extended even on the foul line. And, and, and it's just kind of shows that whenever he's not playing his optimal starting lineup, which is at this point, probably Jones, Ramey, Carr, Allen and Bishop, like he can throw some things out there and, and make it work. And I've been pretty impressed by that, even though he doesn't have this, phenomenal offensive reputation he's been able to throw some things out on the floor that don't look like they're gonna work but then they they do and I I think that's you know for a lot of we kind of talked about this off air like there are people ragging on beard and I think it has a lot to do with his gruff exterior which I mean he worked for Bob Knight well, who else is he going to learn from? Yeah. Uh, but for that, like he's done a lot of really smart basketball things on floor. And of course you add in everything of trying to build the program in the Irwin centers last year. Yeah. For the most part, I agree with you. Uh, there has been one lineup combination that I just can't stand. And we've seen it a couple of times over the course of recent weeks. You can't have to sue Cunningham and ask you on the floor at the same time. Those are three guys who give you zero offense I just looked at Dylan DeSue's stats. He's shooting 7% from three this year. It's not good, Joe. It's not good at all. This is a guy who shot 37% last year at Vanderbilt, averaged 15 points per game. I don't want to turn this into rag on Dylan DeSue hour. But, like, those three guys, I'd argue that you can't have two of those guys on the floor at the same time. Right. Because those guys yeah. give you no offense at all. Of course, they all have value, right? Askew's got value. Cunningham obviously has value. DeSue – should have value. We haven't seen it as much as I would like, but you cannot have all three of those guys on the floor at the same time. That happened in the game against Texas Tech. It was only like a two-minute stretch, but Texas just had two or three horrendous offensive possessions, and I'm just like, why? Why are you doing this? Like you said, they're already a average at best offensive team, and you're just hampering yourself by putting three guys who can't shoot on the floor at the same time. So for the most part, I agree. I think you bring up some good points, and it feels like Chris Beard, as the season has progressed, has gotten a better feel for this roster, which we expected to happen, but it's nice to actually see. But yeah, th- like there are some times where it's like you just you can't have three, and at times you, you shouldn't even have two 
non-shooters, non-scorers on the floor when you're already limited as an offense? So I guess since we're recording this on Wednesday, later tonight, Texas plays TCU at home, uh, 6 p.m. How does – if Texas wins this game, it's because of – If Texas wins this game, it's because of Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr getting back on track. Uh, I, I can put it in even more layman's terms and say, well, they're better than TCU. Uh, that's that's really the reason why Texas would win this game. They dominated TCU in Fort Worth a couple of weeks ago. We know how good Texas has been at home this year. I know they lost their most recent home game, but they're still, what, 15-2 and two at the Irwin Center this season. Mm-hmm. TCU has not been a very good road team this season. So Texas is better than TCU, but they get back on track because – Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen look like the Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen we've seen more often than not this season. What about you? I'll yeah. ask you the same question. What What would your answer be? I'd say that they have two players with 10 points and one player with 10 rebounds because yeah. the thing with this team is that they're they're just not they're, – they're a little bit size challenged. That is what it is. And TCU's got some guys with some length who may not offer a lot of scoring but do offer rebounding. And what they were able to do in Fort Worth was, A, shoot the lights out. That's a huge portion of what they were able to do. And TCU was, for a poor shooting uh, three-point team, had a really poor shooting night overall. They yeah. shot a little bit better from three, but this is a – you know, there's a, the first number for the three-point shooting is in the threes. And so they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, so I think Texas doesn't have to have a, its best offensive game but I think they just need to win on the boards and have two players with uh, 10, 10 points. And I don't think that's, you know, too much to ask considering the guys on this team. I think you also have to make sure that just, I mean, I can't, you, you can't have somebody on TCU go off for like 25 points. It right. can't be Micah Peavy. It can't be O'Bannon. I don't know who else it would be, but you know, it, it doesn't see, yeah, there, there doesn't, Nobody on this TCU team really scares me. Jamie Dixon doesn't scare me at all. I, I think he his program at TCU may have already hit its peak, and it didn't really have – wasn't able to do much with it. Uh, so I think if Texas just plays one of its normal games, gets to 65, I think they'll be in good shape to win it. Yeah, look, uh, basketball is about matchups, right? Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. it. I don't think Texas Tech is a good matchup for Texas. I don't think Baylor is a better matchup – or a good matchup for Texas now. It's like, well, BK, you're just picking teams ranked ahead of Texas. That's easy to say. There are teams ranked ahead of Texas that Texas matches up well with that I think Texas would beat. There are teams ranked below Texas that the Longhorns don't match up well with that I think would beat Texas. I don't think TCU matches up with Texas. Do they have a little bit more size? Yes, but offensively, they're just not consistent at all. And Texas defensively is very consistent. So I do like this matchup from a Longhorn perspective. Uh, And I like that. Two guys score 10 and one guy rebounds. 10 or more. Uh, I will give TCU some credit. I was wrong-ish. They are 4-3 and three on the road this season, which, believe it or not, is the third best road record in conference play. Like, Texas is 3-6 <laughs> and six on the road. Texas Tech, as good as they've been, they're 3-5 and five on the road this year. So only Kansas and Baylor have better road records than TCU does in this conference. But still, uh, Texas is a better team. They're a bad matchup for TCU. They're favored by nine and a half right now. Joe, the line's been going up over the course of the last 24 hours. Uh, this is a game that Texas should win, and I think they will win. What about uh, this Saturday with West Virginia heading up to, like you said, WVU Coliseum, taking on the Mountaineers? Beat them pretty hand- handily on uh, New Year's Day with the Mimosas. Uh, but uh, that was a game where they weren't 
they didn't have a, what Taz Sherman, I believe, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like Taz Sherman has helped West Virginia that much, even if he's if he's come back. Yeah, West Virginia's struggling, man, and they're coming off a loss to TCU. Speaking of TCU, that's another advantage. I didn't talk about that. TCU is playing three games this week. They played mm-hmm. on Monday against West Virginia. And they play Kansas twice, yeah. And they play right. tonight, and then they play TC. or excuse me. Yeah, they do play Kansas twice. So they have two weeks in a row where they play three games in a week. Normally yeah. you get two games, right? The Saturday game and then the midweek game, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. TCU had some COVID issues back at the start of conference play. They had to get a couple of games pushed back. So Texas is the fresher team. Uh, the Longhorns haven't played since Saturday. TCU also played on Saturday, but they also played Monday night too. Uh, in Fort Worth, so they've got to travel. Not that it's a far travel, but Texas should be the fresher team as well tonight, which is uh, advantage Texas. Back to West Virginia, which is what you asked me about. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, they just they just haven't been good. I mean, they're dead last in the conference. They're just a game over 500. Oh, this is a West Virginia team that didn't have, like, title aspirations or anything like that, but I think they started the year as a ranked team. Like, they were expected mm-hmm. to be a, a tournament team for sure, and look, way more often than not, Bob Huggins in Morgantown has led his team to the tournament. It just hasn't clicked this year. Uh, losing Shibway has been big. Obviously, we see what he's doing for Kentucky. That guy's a beast. Uh, Osa Boyan has not been the same player he was in the past for them. It, it really feels like they have two players this year. It's Taz Sherman, who leads them in scoring at 19 a game. And, yeah, Texas got lucky. They didn't have to see Taz the first time around. But even with Taz, it's not like West Virginia has been great. And Sean McNeil's the other guy. Uh, the white sharpshooter who feels like he's been there for 20 years, uh, who was only a junior somehow. I don't, I don't understand how that works. But like outside of those guys, West Virginia has not gotten any consistency on their team. So I think Texas will be favored. They won't be nine, nine and a half point favorites like they are tonight uh, against TCU. But I think Texas will be favored, and I expect Texas to win that game. It'll be a test because the Longhorns haven't been great on the road this season. We all know that, but Texas is a better team than West Virginia. Uh, I don't know if West Virginia started to mail it in a little bit. I wouldn't blame them if they have because they're just not good and they're not making the tournament. But, uh, yeah, I I think it's a close game, but I think it's a game that the Longhorns win. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's it's basically Taz Sherman and and that's about it. And if you can stop him, there's there's not a whole lot. It's not it's not really a press Virginia team either because they don't have I mean, nobody's going to be Javon Javon Carter. Uh, nobody's yeah. nobody's ever going to be that, but they don't have anybody who can provide anything like that. And I'm going to look at West Virginia real quick because I I kind of had this take with with Jamie Dixon. And I understand that TCU does not have this strong basketball, uh, you know, pedigree, and that just basically you know getting to the tournament for them is a big deal. Uh, I, you know, winning the NIT like they did a few years ago it was a big deal. But you know, I'm just going to look at in the last five years with, with Bob Huggins, they've only gone above 500 in conference just in last year. And that was a really weird year. They lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Basically I'm kind of looking at Bob Huggins and kind of wondering, do his teams have staying power? Maybe, maybe this is being a little bit too critical because he had some great stretches yeah. uh, in that in those mid two thousands. Obviously, went to a Final Four uh, in the Big East days uh, with West Virginia. But like you know, they they've had these under five hundred years slipped in there. And I've I'm, I'm always I'm I'm kind of thinking that the best days of Bob Huggins and and put basketball at West Virginia. Maybe behind him, and I think it may only get tougher once Houston 
and Cincinnati and even at times, you know, Central Florida and BYU jump into the Big 12. Like it's not going to get easier. The Big 12 basketball wise is not taking a huge step back uh, when it comes to quality of play, especially if Kansas sticks around and if U of H stays under this progression with with Calvin Sampson. Like it's going to be tough and, you know, it's tough for Bob Huggins isn't going to be able to get a guy like Taz Sherman from Southwest Houston as easy if Houston's in the conference and you can play P6, P7, whatever it is, basketball, you know, 20 minutes away instead of 20 hours away or however long it takes to to get to Morgantown. So I I, I may be a a little bit mean to them uh, or I might be being a little bit mean considering, you know, there's a plenty of 20 win years and, and, you know, very low teens or single digit losses, but I, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the trends and aside from last year, the past five years have not been very kind to Bob, Bob Huggins. Don't be trashing Huggy Bear, man. He'll show up at your house and throw <clears> that <throat> stool through your window. All right. You don't want to mess with that. And then you'll have West Virginia fans burning your couches too. I don't know if you want any part of that. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I'm not quite where you are with Bob Huggins. I think there's a chance his best coaching days are behind him. Yeah, he's he's been coaching forever, and he's been to two Final Fours in his career. Do I think he gets to another Final Four? If I had to guess, probably not. So I don't I don't think that's an outlandish take to say that his best days are behind him. I think they'll be fine. Uh, Bob Huggins does not instill as much fear in me now as he used to. Uh, let me ask you this, Joe: Do you think Bob Huggins is a Hall of Fame coach? Because that's okay. I think so with as many wins as he has in in the Final Four. Coach, winning coach of the year. How many wins does he have? I got it. Uh, Nine something. Oh, 12? Eight, no, 842. Okay. And that's once he, and you know, 850, eight, yeah, 800, 800 used to be the record, right? Something like that until, uh, what's it called? Until uh, Knight and Coach K and others are, I'm sure, on their way towards breaking it. Like, yeah, he's, he's a Hall of Famer. All the NCAA tournament appearances, all the, you know, conference tournament titles final two final fours like yeah he's gonna be fine but i'm I'm gonna make you do this off the top of your head Uh if you had a power rank big 12 coaches i think you put uh bruce weber last i think you put probably bill self and scott drew 1a 1b where's where's huggins like is he Hmm. he's you know iowa state's probably an incomplete but he's probably eight seven or six at this mm-hmm. point i mean let's see I'd, I'd put self one i'd put drew two i'd put beer three sorry texas tech uh, i think it, with the with the track record you yeah. have to because yeah and then and then adam adams admittedly four yeah like it i'd, I'd Mo- rather have mark adams than bob huggins right now moser five for what he's done um mm. bo- okay Maybe maybe Boynton and yeah, I, see, Boynton, I put, Boynton I, Moser and the Iowa State coach are kind of in a in a I, mix right I, there. I think I'd put and Huggins then, ahead of all those guys. Would you put Dixon ahead of Huggins? No, at this point, I, okay. I, so I probably, think I'd have probably Bob Huggins six. five right now. I think that's okay. where we got to. I understand if you put Moser ahead of him because what he did at Loyola was very impressive. Uh, and it's only year one in Norman, so like you got to give him time to build that program a little bit. Um, but I, I'd still put Huggins top five in this conference. So I guess I'm a little higher on him than you are, but I don't think your take, once again, is super outlandish saying right. that yeah, his best days are behind him. That's probably fair. 
what about uh so we we got um we'll probably talk again before well we may not talk before uh baylor but we'll definitely talk before kansas so what about that baylor game big monday mm-hmm. final home game at the drum shamba shachua out for the year lj has lj crier played again or is he still with limited minutes or something like that so yeah, i don't think he's played it's still going to be a you know last last game at the drum how do you see that that one playing out because i think texas will have a little bit better idea of what they need to do but will they be able to do it is is the issue and one they've been facing all year i think baylor's a pretty bad matchup for texas uh shamo chachua being out helps the longhorns because he's big he's long he's athletic and texas doesn't have a lot of those things uh, I, I could see that game going similarly to the Tech game at home. Uh, maybe a little higher scoring than 61-55, but I, I would pick Baylor to win that game. I just Bad matchup. They're better than Texas. Uh, it'll be closer than what we saw at the Farrell Center a couple of weeks ago, but if you had to ask me right now, I'd say Baylor wins by four to eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. What about We've you? seen that plenty. We've seen that plenty with the uh, recent – you know, Baylor, Texas matchups, including one, what, last year, I think with, with Shaka in a, in a COVID arena, uh, it was close. Ba- Texas plays Baylor pretty pretty decently close in the Irwin Center, and I bet the people want to give uh, it a a, fa- a good farewell on, on Big Monday. So we'll see how that goes. I, I'm kind of with you. It's, it's tough for me to see tough for me to see Texas topping Baylor right now and the only thing that I think would give Texas a chance is if that that Baylor rotation even got shorter and I obviously don't wish that at all but that's kind of the only thing because that that front seven if they have the legs they're going to be tough and they're going to be coming off a big or a Saturday game too, uh turning around quickly for big Monday so I don't know it'll be it'll be kind of tough for for Texas uh and who knows if they'll be able to replicate what they did against Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse, but we'll get to that one later. Do you want to talk about Irwin Center memories, or do you want to talk about that top 16 ranking for the Horns, that number 16 ranking for the Horns that the NCAA put out? Let's save the Irwin Center memories for after the season, which hopefully that's an April. I don't have – here's the thing. I don't have a ton. Okay. Like I, I didn't grow up going there. I think I saw WWE Raw there once. <laughs> uh, my my main memory of the Irwin Center is uh, one game my sophomore year, the Andrew Jones shot against Oklahoma his freshman year yeah. and, gra- and graduating. Like, I don't have, like, a ton of things where it's like, oh, wow, the Irwin Center. Oh, right. man, what a time. You, you know? So I've got a that's few. just mine. I've got yeah. a few, but we'll, we'll save them. We'll save them. I'm, I bet you could think of a few more, too, uh, when we get to that a little bit later. But I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, on Saturday, the NCAA Tournament Committee revealed its top 16 seeds. Of course, that was as of Saturday, and that was before the Tech game tipped off. So maybe things have changed a little bit since then. But Texas made the cut. Texas was one of the top 16 teams in the eyes of the committee. Now, they were ranked number 16, but still the Longhorns were a four seed. Uh, on Saturday, at least going into Saturday, in the eyes of the committee, it's pretty damn good. Like, mm-hmm. even after the loss to Texas Tech, okay, maybe Texas drops to a five. That's still pretty good. Like, it took Shaka Smart six years to be seated fifth or higher. Uh, that's fine. It's year one. I know Texas was a preseason top five team. I know some folks had national championship aspirations for this team. 
A lot of the national media felt like this was a title contender. Chris Beard at his introductory press conference was talking about doing big things in year one. Okay, so maybe Texas isn't that good, but this is still a very good Texas basketball team, Joe, that I think has a chance to win a tournament game here for the first time in eight years and also get to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2008. I think if those things happen, especially a trip to the second weekend, you'd have to classify this as a successful year one for Chris Beard. Yeah, I think I think definitely so. And you know, like I mentioned, if they get to that nine win mark, they're they're in. They may be breathing a little heavy. They may not know for sure, but they're in. And even this past weekend, this top sixteen should show that. You know, they shouldn't have to be worrying about that. And you can believe that they're going to do well in two of these last four games. And yeah, they, they've had some issues. They didn't play a strong non-conference schedule but that defense still works they're number 10 in adjust defense in Ken Palm and you know they're still top 40 in, in offense despite it being able to or despite it hitting some slogs I know that's kind of probably some ups and downs because uh, we've seen those we just talked about those scoreless stretches but you know this is still a really good team I, I don't know if Monday night was the right descriptor to throw out from the start but hey that's Chris Beard's prerogative and, and he set it out so uh, I think it still shows how good they are, what Lunardi had them what in, as a five seed as well. I know on three had them as a five seed. Uh, so a lot of places have them one, one seed lower. Again, there's the Big 12 tournament. So if they win a couple of those games, a couple of those games could be quadrant one wins because they'll be neutral site, top yeah. 50 teams. Uh, so the Big 12 tournament, it, as much as, oh, no, it doesn't matter. No, it, it does. You can, you can either – earn yourself the way in, which they did several years ago, or improve your seating, which they did last year. Uh, so a uh, big, big stretch of basketball regardless, uh, but good to know for, for Texas that like, hey, you're here, but there's still ways you can ascend and go up a little bit more. Yeah, I think they could get up to a four, maybe a three. Like if they go three and one down the stretch and make it to the Big 12 tournament final, okay, they could be a three. Uh, especially if they win the Big 12 tournament for the second straight year. I think they could elevate themselves to a three. But realistically, I think four to six feels about right. Now, if Texas goes 0-4 and, and is one and done in Kansas City, then all right, we could be an eight seed. But realistically, it feels like something in the four to six line is where Texas will end up. So that's not a bad year, man. Uh, I told no, you this, not at all. I told you this before we started. I won't completely get on a soapbox here. I'll, I'll make this short. But after the Tech game, I hopped on Twitter Spaces. I think Burnt Orange Nation was doing a Twitter Spaces, and I didn't talk. I just wanted to listen. I wanted to hear what Texas fans thought about that game and about the state of the Longhorn basketball program with four games left in year one of the Chris Beard era. And I heard two or three different people compare Chris Beard to Tom Herman, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, number one, people are like kind of complimenting Tom Herman. Like that, that, that feels like they're giving Tom Herman some love. I never thought that would happen. Whenever I was doing radio in Austin and I said anything positive about Tom Herman. It was like I was trying to spread communism to the people of Austin. Everybody hated that dude. So I'm like surprised that people are trying to be kind of positive towards Tom Herman, but the comparison makes no sense, Joe. Uh, look, Tom Herman went six and six in year one. And he didn't have to completely rebuild the roster too. Uh, he didn't walk into a great situation. We know what Charlie Strong was before him, but he didn't have to completely rebuild the roster like Chris Beard had to do with basketball. The college basketball equivalent of going six and six is being one of the last four teams in the tournament and having to play a first four game in Dayton. Chris Beard has Texas as a four or a five seed right now. That's like nine and three year one. Mm -hmm. 
So that part of the comparison makes no sense. And you brought it up earlier, like the gruff personality, the brash personality. Uh, Chris Beard can rub some people the wrong way. We know Tom Herman did that. But Chris Beard already in just a few months on the job has done way more than Tom Herman ever did in terms of trying to get stakeholders invested into the program. What he's done with the students, what he's done with alumni, what he's done uniting the family with former players and coaches. Like every coach talks about it. Tom Herman talked about it at his introductory press conference. Like I want to open this place back up, get all the former players and coaches involved. If you ask a lot of former players, Tom Herman, after that introductory press conference, didn't do shit to try to get people on board. Chris Beard has done a ton of that. He has done yeoman's work to try to make sure boosters and fans and students and former players and coaches feel like they're a part of the program and are happy with where the program is. So uh, there is nothing about the Tom Herman comparison that makes any sense to me, Joe. And look, if Chris Beard fails, I'll admit that I was wrong because I, I, I love this guy. I love the hire. I loved what he did at Tech. I thought and I think he is going to work. And my God, we're talking about a four or five seed in year one yeah. in the tournament. What are we doing here? Like it already is kind of working. And I think it's going to go up from here. But the Tom Herman comps right now to me make no sense, dude. No, none at all. And I, I think a lot of people, they have the benefit of hindsight with Herman. They, they knew it was an, uh, somewhat of an act, probably more than somewhat of an act. I don't think that's the right way to describe Chris Beard. I don't think, I don't think it's an act. I think he knows that he has to do these things in order to, to get it done. And I think he's, he's pretty darn genuine in, in trying to do it. it. It does seem like, well, I can see how people think like, oh, he's putting on a bit, but so what? Like the bit's working. And I think he is putting his heart and soul into it and, and believes what he's trying to do. If he wasn't, you know, he's, he's believing what he's doing because if not, he would not have taken that job. He could have done it all still in Lubbock and been that same person. And he did a bunch of different things in Lubbock that are similar to this. And it shows he knows what the marketing side has to has to do in order for yeah. this team to go. And I think he's genuine in that. And then, yeah, of course, like you mentioned, just, just the quality of play, like he rebuilt an entire team essentially uh, and has them playing at, at this point in, in the post or on the precipice of the postseason. Like the, the comparisons are not apt, I don't think. And another thing is like, it's a, it's a difference. Uh, I don't know where this falls in line, but uh you know, what was it after Maryland, uh, first Maryland, you know, Oh, I can't sprinkle pixie dust on here. All right. Well, and, uh, with Chris Beard, he's talking about being a Monday night program, you know, like there, there's, there's some things I've been like kind of rolled eyes at, but i most everything I see from Chris Beard, it's like, okay, you know, he's not there to win me personally. He's there to win basketball yeah. games and that'll win. And, but he's also done a good job of winning, winning people and, trying to, you know, be good with media members. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be perfect, but I think you're going to be more right than wrong with, with that take and with Chris Beard going forward. Yeah, last thing I'll say on this before we get to Texas baseball. Of course, if you have more you want to add, feel free. Uh, Chris Beard, year one in Lubbock, went 18 and 14. Tech missed the tournament. Year two, they made it to the Elite Eight. Year three, they played for a national championship. Year one in Austin, Texas is a lot to make the NCAA tournament. Once again, they'll probably end up as a four to six seed. Give him time. Like the fact that there's already buyer's remorse, it feels like, from some Texas fans is insane to me. Absolutely insane. The Moody Center coming in, a great recruiting class coming in. You know he's going to hit the portal hard once again. Like 
this thing is only going up from here, at least in the short right. term. So it's already been a pretty good year one. Now, if, look, if Texas is a four or five seed and they lose in the first round, I'm not going to say it was a successful first year because Beard was brought in to win games in March. But even if they're a six seed, if they struggle a little bit down the stretch, if they get to the Sweet 16, that's a successful year one. You haven't been there since 08. So I just – I'm stunned. Like, on one hand, I'm happy that people care about Texas basketball again. On the other hand, it's like, what the hell are y'all talking about? This man's doing a good job, and definitely give him time to do a great job because I think he will. And even if you don't like him, what were you going to do? You get – I was on Team Royale. I would have been fine with Royale Ivy, but you don't get the same thing you're getting with Chris Beard with Royale Ivy. No. Not with Dana Altman. Not with you know. I, I don't even know. I, I think the list was about three. Like, there's not a whole lot. There weren't. It wasn't the best of uh, cycles, I guess. Except if you had all your eyes set on Chris Beard, and they they did. So, yeah. I think we hit a bunch of basketball there. We got four games of baseball to hit swept number one texas number one in all five major polls looked like a number one team when they took on a rice owl program that is in year one of rebuilding under jose cruz jr that no one really knew about uh with some of their transfers heck their sunday pitcher used to pitch at texas and looked okay ish for a little bit but texas is just they go about it in a professional manner even though they're amateurs they have hitting depth, they have pitching depth, and they are going to field better than anybody in the country. Like this is – I I try really hard not to climb up on turnbuckles and get, get, you know, going and stuff like that. But, like, this team is deservedly number one. There are other good teams around them in all the rankings, including, you know, Vanderbilt. Oklahoma State had a really good weekend, uh, beat topping Vanderbilt, um, Ole Miss – uh, Mississippi State, like all Arkansas, all these teams are going to be great. Tech's still potent. TCU's still potent. Oklahoma State's had a great – but, like, Texas looks like a true bonafide number one team that I that can play multiple styles of baseball, has a bunch of different guys. They're still going to be figuring out roles, and that's what playing two at a place like Corpus helps. But they just drummed Corpus last night, you know, 12-nothing allowing two hits and both were infield singles with guys who had, you know, some mostly guys who are deeper down the bullpen. So earlier turns are, are pretty darn good for this baseball team. People who were uh, upset about, I, I, I do love how baseball more than any other sport, because in the pros, there's 162 in, in, and in college, there's 57 regular season games, college football, 12 regular season games college basketball what it's 30 32 something like that Mm -hmm. so they're 57 and if things are going bad over a five game stretch in college basketball yeah that's that's cause for concern that's a big portion of your season if things are going bad in a couple game stretch couple game stretch for baseball just wait and i think some people saw ivan melendez and Maybe this is just kind of internet stuff, just like, oh, no, he's not hitting well. And then he goes and hits 900 feet of home runs on Sunday and, <laughs> oh, and hits it well on, on, on Tuesday. Made a bad base running mistake, but hits it really well on Tuesday. Like, this yeah. is a team that has a lot of weapons up and down the lineup. that has defense all over. And it's got pitching, you know, again, uh, three number one quality guys, yep. basically. So That's this it. is – this is a fun time to, to cover Texas baseball, and I'm, I'm really excited that it's getting going. 
Yeah, Texas's number three starter, Tanner Witt, might be a first-round pick when his college career is all said and done. There ain't a lot mm-hmm. of teams. I don't know if there are any teams in college baseball that can say that. Uh, yeah, this Texas team is loaded, absolutely loaded. They deserve to be the number one team in the country, and they're off to a phenomenal start. It's one thing to be 4-0, Joe. Like, that's great. Obviously, you win all your games. That's the most important thing. They've outscored their opponents 48-3. to in those first mm-hmm. four games. Rice is rebuilding, as you said. AM Corpus is not good, but still, like to not only win, but to look dominant in all four of these games to this point. Everything's been working too. The offense has been dominant. Uh, guys are working walks, taking good at bats, and obviously some of the power has been there as well. Good to see Silas Hardwan have some good at bats at the plate. Trey Faltini looks like those guys look more disciplined at the plate. Would love to see them improve offensively. The pitching has been fantastic to this point. Uh, even the bullpen, like some of the non-household names in this bullpen were in there on Sunday, touching 97, 98. I'm like, whoa, I, I don't know how many teams across college baseball, their best guy can throw 97 or 98 in Texas in a three-game sweep in a 15-0 game or a 14-2 game is just throwing out these random dudes who are touching 97-98. So the defense looks good, too. Yeah, early returns are that this team is very good. And I can't help but think, Joe, about the open to last season, right, that three-game debacle in Arlington against those three SEC teams. That, of course, was right after the freeze. Texas didn't have time to practice at all. But high expectations, top 10 team going into last season, and they just got punked in all three of those games. And people were like, oh, my God, is David Pierce the right guy? Is this team going to suck this year? Well, they end up going to Omaha and basically finishing third. Uh, They turned out fine. This year, they look even better than what they looked like last year. Uh, Maybe national championship or bust feels like a a lot. But look, you could argue for Texas baseball every year is kind of that way. But it's like this team feels like they can win a national championship, Joe. And there would be, I think, some disappointment from some Texas fans if they don't win a title because it feels like this is David Pierce's best team and it feels like this is their best opportunity to do that in a long time. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm always wary of national title or bust because even getting to Omaha is hard. And it's it's baseball. There are so many random occurrences that, you know, you can have great fielders, but, you know, if they forego, before bloop where you're not, you know, and if it happens again and again, like there's so much random chance it happens in baseball to where to me, I'm always one of those, as long as you get there and let the cards play out, you're fine. Cause remember yeah. they lost one uh, in, in Omaha and then they battled back to within like four outs of uh, being able to go to the championship series. Like there's, there's a lot that happens. So I'm not going to climb the national championship or bus ladder yet, but Man, it's going to be tough there if they're not in Nebraska in June. It really will. It'll be tough if they're not in, uh, you know, playing at the dish in June. You know, that, that's, that'd be, I think, a, a letdown if they're not hosting postseason baseball of any sort. But it, that, this team is equipped to handle all that. They yeah. have guys who are, understand that pressure, who understand what it's like, the grind that it takes, the target always being on your back. They understand what all that's like. Um, and they're, they're getting guys who are replacing, you know, valued people from last year, Skyland messenger, like the, here's something that, uh, Chris Beard said, or not Chris Beard, David Pierce said not too long ago, he goes, Skyler messenger came up to him in the fall and said, I thought I knew what it was like to work hard until I got here. And that guy is all big 12. He was a all big 12 second team guy and big 12 thought to be the second best baseball conference in the country. 
Like that tells you what's going on with this team, their mentality. Uh, they have, you know, this Alabama series, I, I tried to watch a little bit of their midweek game against uh, Jacksonville state there. There wasn't a lot to glean, uh, but this is going to tell a lot more of a test than uh, this is going to tell a lot more of a, the, about this team than Rice would sure. than AM Corpus Christi would. And, uh, should be should be an interesting time at the dish uh, this upcoming weekend. And one more tidbit about the uh, uh, AM Corpus Christi game yesterday: two Tommy John guys, uh, Andre Duplantier and, and Travis Staley, uh, two guys who I think were out last year after going through Tommy John, come in and give up. You know, I think six innings of one hit baseball. Like those are two guys who are going to be big in in the bullpen this year. Maybe Duplantier. He comes at Tuesday starter, throws innings Tuesday, throws innings Saturday. Uh, but those are those are two guys that are going to be part of this equation this year, and they look just fine coming back and pitching in the first couple times uh, this past year or this past week. And they got another one probably going that starts in about two hours that uh, I'll be checking out, listening to, watching until uh, the horns start in their own center. A two-hitter last night and two infield yeah. singles that I, I think people – could say were errors instead of infield single. one no. one was i think a, a hit but the other one they changed from an error to a hit yeah. that i kind of raised an eyebrow at but you know it Pretty is what dominant. it is yeah a lot to like with this texas baseball team and i'm with you we'll learn more over the course of this weekend i brought up last year's opening series to say hey you don't want to put too much stock into one series right like people were closing the book on texas baseball after the opening weekend last year they end up having a great season this year it's like oh crown them already Lock in Omaha, book your tickets, get your hotels. We're good to go. Uh, Be careful. Uh, There's reasons for optimism, a ton of reasons for optimism. This team is loaded with talent and experience, and they're number one for a reason. Like, they should get there, sure. These these next two weeks are going to say a lot because they play a better Alabama team. I don't know if they're going to be SEC contender considering Mississippi schools, Arkansas, LSU put up a ton of runs, all all these different SEC schools. They're going to be a step up from from Rice, most likely. Yeah. Then you go to Sam. You go to Huntsville to Sam Houston. That'll be a good team. That's a that's a Southland champion type team and one that's produced a lot of talent. I think they also just produced a, a first round pick this past year. And then you face LSU, Omaha caliber team, Tennessee uh, Omaha team last year. You met in Omaha and probably doesn't like you right now. Yeah. And UCLA, a good one of the the best teams on the on the West Coast. So. Uh, they they, they kind of got off on the right track and they're going to have to stay on the right track. If they want to beat some of the teams that they're going to be matched up with in the next couple of weeks. For sure. And then at South Carolina after that, yeah. another good SEC team. Yeah, exactly. Right. A team looking for it too. No doubt. I think that's, that's it. Anything else you want to mention? I think we touched on all of it. Beautiful. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the one and O podcast. Appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate y'all's continued love and support. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at Joseph cook 89 and subscribe to inside Texas. If you haven't done that yet, go to insidetexas.com to get your sub the best damn UT information you can find football, basketball, baseball, whatever. They've got you covered over at InsideTexas.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to The Wheelhouse every weekday afternoon from 3 to 7 p.m. on ESPN975.com, 97.5 or 92.5 if you live in Houston. Another shout-out to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer, and a shout-out to y'all for continuing to listen or watch this podcast 
on YouTube. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. Until next time, y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy. And hook them. <laughs>